Every town has a dark side. This is Andrew Fitzgerald from the Every Town Podcast, where every single week we dive into insane and mysterious true crime stories, most of which you've never heard of. Stories like the bizarre disappearance of Tyler Davis in Columbus, Ohio, a 29-year-old father trying to find his way back to his hotel when he disappeared and was never heard from again, and Elizabeth Shelf from Lugoff, South Carolina, who was abducted from her driveway by a madman and taken to his underground bunker in the woods. And we give you all the details you're interested in hearing about without any fluff or fillers, because ain't nobody got time for that. We cover everything from psychopaths to poltergeists, so go check out the Everytown podcast, because every town, no matter how nice it may seem, has a dark side. In the 1970s and 80s, a monster hunted the Connecticut River Valley. Seven bodies found, one survivor, and no suspects. I'm Jane Borowski, host of Invisible Tears. I was seven months pregnant and stabbed 27 times, and I survived. My story didn't end that frightful night. This attack on me physically and mentally lingered for years. I'm Amanda Bedard, and I'm Jane's life coach and co-host of Invisible Tears. Jane is ready to share her story, and not just about her attack, but her healing process afterwards. As a platform for truth and healing, we are on a mission to help others that suffer from PTSD and help bring awareness to mental health issues. To hear my story and others, you can find Invisible Tears wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. I think the school is it's like closed for the summer. You may hold all the answers to this case, Owen, and not even know it. Andy and I went through it. Lots of people have. You're just looking at it the wrong way. I'm doing it. No, it can't happen. Unless you have a better idea, I don't know what to tell you. I do have a better idea, Owen. Hey guys, there's only one day left to get yourself involved in our new thriller revenge movie in Angry Boy, so if you're interested in getting your name on a Scary Mysteries video and the credits of the film as a co-producer, you want to receive a poster, script, some deleted scenes, or you want to join us for the exclusive online world premiere, then it's now or never. Where is he? You ever heard of a Spanish donkey? If you want to join us, click the link in the description or just go to kickstarter.com and look up our movie and Angry Boy to get involved. But hurry, because the campaign ends tomorrow. Serial killers are among the most terrifying people you'll ever hear about. And interestingly, no matter how horrific their crimes are, we can't help but be fascinated by their stories because at the end of the day... They're people just like you and me. However, there's arguably certain killers that are more terrifying and interesting than the people you've already heard of, and those are the ones you don't know exist. Because they could be your friendly neighbor or that easygoing coworker, when unbeknownst to you and to everyone, they have in fact raped, 
tortured and killed numerous human beings. Here are five psychopaths you've never heard of. Number five, Yu-Gi-Oh! Yamaji. It's a long-held belief that no one is born a criminal, but becomes one over time due to some undesirable social circumstances. The story of Yukio Yamanji and his exploits could be but one tragic example. In Japan, Yamaji was born to a struggling family where he was the only child. Their money problems compounded when his alcoholic father died and he chose not to continue high school, instead doing menial jobs just to get by. Typically aloof to girls, young Yukio surprisingly established an intimate relationship with an older woman. This didn't please his mother all too much, so she called up his lady love, asking her to end the relationship, and his mother's meddling unexpectedly brought forth his dark, murderous side. On July 16th of 2000, when he was just 16, he took a metal baseball bat and battered his own mother to death. In an ensuing investigation, the killer confessed that he could not recall how many times he hit the woman, but suffice to say it was enough to basically disfigure the victim's body and face. After the deed, Yukio invited his lover to his house, and she immediately called the police as soon as she discovered the dead body inside. Yamaji was arrested and tried in a family court where he was sentenced to juvenile detention because of his confession and the fact that he was still a minor, the court hoped that he could be rehabilitated. But apparently, they were wrong to think that. After just three years in a reform center, the court declared him mentally repaired, and he was freed in 2003, a mistake that was paid dearly with the lives of two women. Out now, to fend on his own, the juvenile moved and lived just about anywhere. He ended up becoming friends with other delinquents who taught him how to steal. Being with the wrong crowd, coupled with his poor living conditions, Yukio's frustration in life continued to grow. And one day, while he was in Osaka, a teenager became captivated with two sisters, Asuka and Chihiro Uhara. He began stalking them to find out where they lived, On November 17th of 2003, he broke into and hid in their apartment. Asuka, who was the first to arrive home, was ambushed, and Chihiro suffered the same fate. Using a butcher knife, the intruder stabbed both girls in the face and chest, after which he sexually assaulted them. During the interrogation, he revealed that he felt extreme sexual arousal each time he stabbed and pulled out the knife. At his trial, he told the jury that he felt the same sexual excitement while killing his mother. After raping and murdering the Oharas, he stole their possessions and then set their apartment on fire. On December 5th, the serial killer was apprehended and confessed right away to the crime. He told the police, The reason I killed them was because I had a lot of fun, and I couldn't forget when I killed my mother a long time ago. So I decided to kill again and killed them. Given the severity of his crime as well as his lack of remorse, the court sentenced him to death. Yukio was then executed in 2009 when he was just 25 
making him the youngest person to be executed in Japan since 1972. Yukio's tumultuous life could be the result of society's failure to support him, and yet experts believe it was his volatile nature and hidden depravity that plunged him into darkness. Number 4. Vicky Jackson There's the saying, when it's too good to be true, it probably is. Vicky Jackson was one of those types of people who embodied the perfect small-town girl persona, but little did everyone know she was leading a double life. One that was nice, and the other that would put her into the pantheon of Texas monsters like Henry Lee Lucas, the one-eyed woman killer, and Angel Resendez, the railroad killer. For a place as tiny as Nakona, Texas, where there's only but an average population of 3,000 residents, it's hard not to know Nurse Vicky. Basically, at one point of their lives, they had to at least pass through the caring hands of this former health caregiver. There's nothing to say about how kind and caring Nurse Vicky was. Her workmates and superiors at the Nakona General Hospital where she worked could attest to her unrivaled passion and dedication to her duties. However, horrifying things began to unravel when in the days between December 11, 2000 through February 18, 2001, the hospital was confronted with a shocking death toll. There were at least a total of 15 individuals who mysteriously perished within the walls of this small healthcare institution. Authorities were alerted, and after a thorough investigation, police discovered that within those dates, the hospital's pharmacy had lost about 15 vials of Mivacron, a drug that paralyzes the respiratory system. Wrongful administration of the substance results in respiratory arrest and then ultimately death. Upon further inquiry, they found Nurse Vicky to be the one responsible for switching prescribed medicine with the aforementioned drug. She was then arrested, and soon after, a plethora of terrifying revelations began to pour out. During her trial, it was discovered that her first victim was a 100-year-old widow, whom she later recalled as a patient who complained a lot. A week later, she walked into the room of an 87-year-old farmer and injected him with Mivacron, She then moved to another room and did the same to a 62-year-old retiree. Nurse Vicky secretly continued her murdering spree in the days that followed, targeting the elderly who were admitted for just the simplest kind of injuries. Interestingly, though, the old folks weren't her only targets. She also preyed on individuals her age and even the younger ones, like the teenager whom her children went to high school with. Contrary to other killer nurses, or as popularly called, angels of death, Vicky was not necessarily a mercy killer. She didn't murder those who were terminally ill or suffering from severe pain. She also wasn't the type who sought approval and attention from co-workers. Simply put, she just wanted to see people die. In October of 2006, despite not admitting any guilt, Vicky Jackson was sentenced to life in prison. Even to this day, Nakona's residents still can't believe that a woman like her, who was so kind and nice during the day, was in fact a vicious killer who murdered her own patients at night. Number 3. Salvatore Perone 
Insanity, which is one of the many manifestations of mental illness, is a serious matter that warrants attention and consideration from society. For such reason, some despicable individuals like Salvatore Perón would attempt to feign insanity just so they could deceive people. An independent apparel salesman, Perón had visions of creating his own clothing line. However, financial woes coupled with his drinking problems plunged the Staten Island homeowner into deep trouble. His property began to crumble and was left in disarray. Not only in his hometown, Perone was also arrested and charged several times with drunk driving in New Jersey. His run-ins with the law didn't stop there. The businessman was also apprehended for theft and harassment in Pennsylvania. As bad as things already were in the summer of 2012, Perone began committing his most heinous and violent acts yet, murder. On July 6th of that year, Mohamed Gabelli, who was 65 years old, was discovered dead with a single gunshot wound to the neck in his Bay Ridge clothing store. Then about a month later, on August 2nd, 59-year-old Isaac Hadar was found shot and stabbed inside his store in Bensonhurst. Fear now struck the people of New York City when on November 16th, 78-year-old Ramatola Vahidapur was gunned down in his prospects Lefferts Gardens clothing shop. Police immediately noticed a pattern here. Each murder happened near closing time and 22 caliber shell casings were recovered at the crime scenes. Reports also stated that a man they initially called John Doe Duffelbag was spotted twice on security footage video taken near the place of the murders. An investigation led detectives to Perone, whom they arrested on November 20th, 2012. The gun, a 22 caliber rifle and three knives, one of which still had blood on it, were found in a duffel bag. His possessions of the kill kit, plus his fingerprints and positive ballistic test results, were now enough to convince police that Perone was a serial killer. And yet, the accused insisted on his innocence even told authorities that he was framed by what was thought of as an imaginary business associate. He went on to tell investigators that the killing spree was supposed to be part of his plan to promote world peace. And in another bizarre statement, he claimed that he committed the murders with the order from the Palestinian section of the CIA. His weird and seemingly delusional claims prompted the court to conduct a psychiatric test that would determine his sanity. Surprisingly, the results indicated that he was mentally fit to stand trial, and so his trial did begin in 2016, where he took the stand in his own defense. The ensuing proceedings were said to be very chaotic. Reports said that the defendant would make frequent outbursts, verbally abusing legal representatives as well as the presiding judge. He was ultimately dismissed for disorderly conduct because of that. Eventually, a 70-year-old was found guilty on three counts of murder and was then sentenced to 75 years to life, a decision that drew the frustrations of the family of victims who, even now, don't know why their loved ones were killed. Number 2. Takahiro Shiraishi Social media has become a means for us to connect with many people, 
Yet, one might ask how many of them are authentic. How do we know if they mean well, or are they someone who might lure us to our own demise? The likes of Takahiro Shiraishi will probably make you think twice about the next time you want to log in to social media. Originally from Tokyo, he then moved to Zama, a city in central Kanagawa Prefecture, after serving a prison sentence for being a scout in a prostitution ring. Jobless and with nothing else to do, the 27-year-old supposedly told his father that he no longer found the reason to live. At the height of his depression, the man got deeply involved in the dark side of social media. He began using Twitter intensively, where he gradually amassed a small following on two of his accounts. His first account was called I Want to Die, and the second was A Professional at Hanging. In his first account, Shiraishi projected himself as an inconsolable victim seeking company for his misery. On his alternate account, he presented himself as a person proficient at helping people die. In one of his posts, he said, If you are at a dead end, please consult me. And like a predator, Shiraishi would comb through Twitter for most of his victims using the hashtag suicide recruitment. Most of those he found were vulnerable young girls who expressed their desire to die. Once connection was established, he would then message them saying, Let's die together. This online stalker was quite particular when handling his victims. He would meet up with them at a train station near their home, and from there, they would travel over to his house. The horrors began once they got inside his home. To make them feel relaxed, he would give them alcohol, sleeping pills, and if needed, tranquilizers. Once down, he would proceed to sexually assault them, after which he would strangle them to death. And this he did nine times between August and October of 2017. The discovery of his grisly crime came when one of the missing women's brothers launched an investigation to find his sister. With the help of the police and another woman, they set up a fake appointment with what is now called the Twitter Killer. The entrapment operation went smoothly. When asked where the missing woman was, Shiraishi told authorities that he placed her in a freezer. Not only that last victim, but they also found eight other bodies in his house, all of which had been dismembered. Body parts like heads, legs, and arms were found stored in cooler boxes. None of their personal possessions were recovered, however. During an interrogation, the internet stalker told police that he wanted to take advantage of his victims' vulnerable states to manipulate and sexually assault them. And this he did in order to fulfill his twisted sexual fantasies without the fear of being rejected. In 2020, Takahiro Shiraishi was sentenced to death, and now he awaits his execution. Social media can be fun, sure, but needless to say, you gotta be wary of predators, the ones like Shiraishi who would like to take advantage of people's weaknesses. Number 1. Patrick McKay There's no other perfect way to encapsulate Patrick McKay's turbulent life than this saying by Martin Luther King Jr. Violence begets violence. 
Born in Middlesex, England, young Patrick had been a victim of constant beatings and abuse from his violent alcoholic father. He suffered in this cycle until he was 10 when his father died. But by this time, McKay had already established his reputation as a neighborhood bully, a thief, and a chronic liar. At 15, the young man had compiled a long rap sheet, most of which were violent offenses committed not only against other people, but against his own family. At one time, he attempted to strangle his own mother and his aunt in a drunken rage. His propensity for torture and death manifested through his habitual maltreatment of animals, including his own pet cats and rabbits. He was put to trial in juvenile court when he was caught setting a Catholic church on fire. It came to no surprise when McKay began to express his fascination with Nazism. He would decorate his room with Nazi memorabilia and even call himself Franklin Bolvolt I, picturing himself as a world dictator. Psychiatrists saw that he had psychopathic tendencies and would likely commit murder, and they couldn't have been more right. As part of his self-imposed mission to wipe out the world of the elderly, he attacked an 87-year-old widow named Isabella Griffiths, whom he strangled and stabbed at her home in Chelsea in 1974. This was followed with the death of Adele Price in 1975. The 89-year-old was choked in her home in Kensington, but things didn't end there. Back in 1973, the ruffian was befriended by a Catholic priest, Father Anthony Crean, and he repaid his kindness by burglarizing the 63-year-old's home in Kent that year. He returned two years later, not to reconcile, but to kill him as well in a frenzied attack, using his bare fists, a knife, and an axe. It was a brutal scene, where the victim's face was heavily disfigured, and his skull was split in two. His body would later be found floating in a bathtub full of bloody water. McKay was swiftly arrested and was soon considered by police to be a suspect in at least a dozen other killings over the past two years. He did claim murdering 11 people, most of whom were old, but was eventually charged and convicted with three counts of manslaughter. So in November of 1975, Patrick McKay was sentenced to life in jail New updates, however, have revealed that after serving 47 years, the longest in the country's criminal history, the so-called Britain's forgotten serial killer, could actually be set free in 2022. He claimed to have already changed, but many believe otherwise. After all, according to them, a leopard can't change its spots. So that's going to do it for today's video. If you guys are craving more, please watch this stuff on the right. Remember to subscribe to us. Thank you so much for tuning in. Appreciate all the support, and I'll see you soon.